Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That that way. Way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your freak in a castle, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode features Nakey Death, Slashy Chimps, and Gory Gordon. Grab a pillow and join the fight as I babble on about some horror movies. Number one, Slaughterhouse Slumber Party, 2019, directed by Dustin Mills. Some girls, Carol Ann, Lennon, Courtney, Stoya, Langley, Blanche, Moon, and Dolores are having an annual slumber party. Carol Ann invited Gretchen. Gretchen seems off. Gretchen completes a ritual with the Necronomicon. During a pillow fight, Carol Ann accidentally kills Gretchen. The death allows Gretchen to gain supernatural powers. Langley shoots and kills Gretchen again. Gretchen is still alive. Gretchen kills Dolores, Langley, Blanche, and Stoya. Carol Ann goes to the ghost world to collect Gretchen's soul. It turns into a stone and is kept in a pickle jar that's still filled with juice. The juice breaks down the stone and kills Gretchen. All the friends come back to life. Gretchen and Carol Ann are the killers. Carol Ann snaps Gretchen's neck with a pillow before it can be justified as defense. Sure, Gretchen planned on that happening, but Carol Ann still killed her. Slaughterhouse Slumber Party, aka some weird dude's awkward combination of horror, comedy, and fetishes. That's right, listener. It appears that I done watched a porno on the podcast again. The first time this happened was when I watched Jesus Franco's The Demons. Before I started Slaughterhouse Slumber Party, I knew that it was going to have some gratuitous nudity, but I saw it recommended on Twitter. Bloody Disgusting reviewed it. It can't be a straight-up porno. Well, I'd say it's not just a porno. Sure, there are sequences that are literally just porn, like when the girls have a nude pillow fight. There's a fictional character in a movie that the girls like to watch that fights evil in the buff. I will say the sex scene between the first-time lesbian Carol Ann and established lesbian Lennon is done tastefully. Yeah, it's... it's weird. Josh, why did you watch this again? I don't know. I wanted to support a super low-budget movie and thought it would be reminiscent of a Frank Henenlotter film. I thought the pornographic nature in Slaughterhouse Slumber Party would be more subtle. Dustin Mills, Mr. Writer, Director, Cameraman, Editor, I see you. I see that you made this to satisfy your weird fetishes. Girls farting, pooping, stepping on goopy stuff, and whatnot. I'm not here to kink shame you, Dustin. I'm here to ask why you decided it was necessary to include all of that in your movie. 
Slaughterhouse Slumber Party actually has some funny bits. Jokes landed for me. One particularly hilarious sequence is when Langley and Blanche interrogate Gretchen. Jay Anya Lupa played Gretchen and she's trying. I found her to be better as non-demonic Gretchen. Her performance as Demon Gretch isn't as solid, but I appreciate that she's actually going for it. Another actor who's doing her damnedest, even though that's not much, is Haley Madison as Courtney. Kudos to those two for at least attempting to act in this movie. I guess I could also shout out Alice Winkler, who plays Stoya. She does a Russian accent throughout. It's not the best, but she does it, damn it. Everyone else in the movie is pretty terrible. The movie definitely would have been better if all the other actors stepped up the camp. Overacting would have been the right approach given what Slaughterhouse Slumber Party is, and a lot of the girls' performances are way too subdued. Even though I found some stuff in the movie funny, a lot of the writing is out of touch. A dude did write a movie where all the characters are women, so I guess that's to be expected. The special effects are cheap, but I really enjoyed them. There are some fun practical elements, like the tentacles with stingers on the end that shoot out of Demon Gretch's nipples. I also believe a lot of the ghost things and skeletons were to some extent practical. Most of the effects are CGI, which looks incredibly cheesy, but it works. CGI shark ghost, hell yeah. I really liked how they did the shots and effects work for Gretchen's body that the girls send to the bottom of a lake with a cinder block. I want to say the underwater body was created with miniatures. Carol Ann's hair sticking up when she went into the ghost world was also a nice touch. Do I recommend you check out Slaughterhouse Slumber Party? Not really. It's not all that strong as a horror comedy or a porno. Even though it's not that great, I still found it an inspiring movie given how crazy low budget it was. If some perverted sexual deviant can make a feature-length horror comedy, maybe I can too. Number 2, Phenomena, 1985, directed by Dario Argento. A killer is murdering young girls. A young girl named Jennifer arrives at a Swiss school for girls. She sleepwalks and meets an entomologist who has a chimpanzee nurse. Jennifer has a connection with insects. Her school thinks she's crazy, so she leaves. Jennifer and the entomologist try to find the killer. The entomologist is killed. Frau Bruckner from the girls' school finds Jennifer and says one of Jennifer's guardians put her in charge of getting Jennifer back to America. Jennifer accompanies Bruckner to her home. Bruckner has a son. Jennifer realizes Bruckner is the killer. A detective shows up and beats up Bruckner while Jennifer escapes. She sees the son who looks like a monster. Jennifer ends up in a boat with the son. Flies swarm the son. The boat explodes. Jennifer swims to shore as the son dies in the water. Her guardian is there. Bruckner decapitates him and is about to do the same to Jennifer when the chimp shows up and takes out Bruckner with a straight razor. Frau Bruckner and her son are the killers. I'm pretty sure the kid killed a girl or two, so Bruckner had to start killing people that were close to uncovering who the killer was. Wow. That summary. About half of that summary is the last 15 minutes of Phenomena. That's where all the magic happens. There is so much insanity packed into those last 15 minutes. 
I wish the movie had that kind of energy throughout because the journey to straight razor chimp savior is a long and arduous one. For an Argento film, Phenomena is not overflowing with color. I was expecting a lot of vibrant colors, magnificent sets, and over-the-top kills. There are some over-the-top kills, but that's pretty much it. How many windows are broken by a victim's head going through them? Two. I love that the window staple was present. Where are the buckets of high saturation blood? If bright red blood isn't splattering everywhere when someone is stabbed in an Argento movie, what's the point? I'm not being serious, but I was surprised by the absence of red paint that's usually all over the place. The gore is fine overall. I really dug the gross body part filled pit that Jennifer falls into. There are two decapitations that are a lot of fun. The chimp slashes don't really sell, but the absurdity of a chimp with a straight razor gives that a pass. At one point, the detective I mentioned is in shackles, so he breaks his thumb to be able to slip a hand out. The entomologist's death is shockingly lame. He gets stabbed in the gut, then has a tiny blood spot on his shirt. He also dies instantly from this gut stab. It's weird. I'm not sure how I feel about the acting. Jennifer Connelly was 15 when Phenomena came out, so she must have been even younger when it was filmed. She definitely tried, but was a bit stiff in parts. Donald Pleasance played the entomologist. In everything I've seen him in, he plays some kind of doctor. I feel like he's just the same character in Phenomena, Alone in the Dark, and Halloween. I don't have an affinity for Halloween and in turn Donald Pleasance, but he was fine in Phenomena, I guess. One strange thing is the inclusion of multiple languages in the movie. It's not strange because there's more than one, but it is strange that at times Jennifer randomly starts speaking Italian, which is obviously dubbed. There weren't any subtitles, so when random characters spoke Dutch, French, and Italian, I don't know what they were saying. There is your usual dubbing in Phenomena, but it felt weirder than usual in places. Either the voice track was a little off at times, or ADR was used for Jennifer. Goblin does a bunch of the soundtrack like they usually do on Argento movies, but a lot of heavy metal was also included. Bands like Iron Maiden and Motorhead. The heavy metal, even though I'm a fan, never fits with what's going on at all. It's peculiar. That's the word I'd use to describe phenomena. It's a peculiar ride that barely keeps your attention, then slaps you with one of the zaniest sequences of all time at the end. I recommend watching Argento's other movies first, then moving on to Phenomena if you just can't get enough. I wanted to love the movie with the straight razor chimpanzee, but came out of my viewing with a shrug. As jaw-dropping ridiculous as the ending is, I don't believe it's enough to justify watching the whole thing. Not such a fun fact, the chimpanzee bit off part of Jennifer Connelly's finger. Luckily it was reattached. Chimps just love to bite people. Number 3, From Beyond, 1986, directed by Stuart Gordon. Dr. Pretorius has created The Resonator with the help of his assistant Crawford. The Resonator lets people look into another reality when it's on. An entity from another reality kills Pretorius, so Crawford destroys the machine. Crawford is blamed for Pretorius' death. Dr. Catherine believes Crawford about The Resonator. She forces him to rebuild it with a little help from her friend Bubba. Pretorius has merged with the entity that killed him and wants to consume everyone. 
Catherine is compelled to keep using the resonator. Bubba's killed by creatures and Crawford changes after the resonator causes his pineal gland to protrude from his forehead. Crawford starts killing people. Pretorius is about to consume Catherine when Crawford sacrifices himself to allow Catherine time to escape. The resonator explodes. Entities from another reality and Crawford, under the influence of the resonator, are the killers. You could argue that Catherine should be included since she keeps flipping on the dang resonator. Stuart Gordon recently passed away. There was an outpouring of love from horror fans regarding his work and impact on horror. I've seen Reanimator and Dolls, two movies that he directed. But even though I've seen those, I didn't really know who Stuart Gordon was when I initially saw the news. I'm checking out the rest of the horror movies that he's directed or had a hand in writing that I haven't seen in chronological order. From Beyond is loosely based on an H.P. Lovecraft short story. I'm not a huge Lovecraft fan, as in I don't seek out Lovecraft, but so far I have enjoyed a lot of the Lovecraftian stuff I've seen. From Beyond stars Jeffrey Combs as Crawford and Barbara Crampton as Catherine, two of the horror community's favorite actors. Let's start out with their acting in this movie. It's... It's not great. Hey, put it down. The pitchfork. You over there, the torch too. Combs and Crampton can act. They just aren't that great in From Beyond. That's okay. It's a wacky movie. When your movie includes an amazing shape-shifting entity that has consumed the personality of a pretentious, kinky scientist, the acting doesn't have to be Oscar-worthy. Where From Beyond truly shines is the effects work. Shapeshifting Pretorius is incredible and amazingly done. For the most part, there are some iffy looking forms, but I was completely blown away by the practical effects used to bring grotesque ask Pretorius to life. The effects heavily reminded me of Brian Usna movies. He had a hand in producing and writing from beyond. No screaming mad George though. John Carl Buchler helmed the effects work. A majority of the effects work, at least. Apparently, four special effects teams worked on the movie. Besides Pretorius and his transformations, there's also a giant purple worm with loads of teeth that sucks all the hair off the top half of Crawford. That means you have a weird, hairless Jeffrey Combs for about half of the movie. It's strange, to say the least. Big ol' purple worms are a D&D staple that have a big part in an Adventure Zone arc, if you haven't listened to the first season of the Adventure Zone, an amazing D&D podcast, I highly recommend it. I only recommend the first season, though, and only really up to when they change the system. I mean, you'll still be sucked in by the story when a new system is introduced, but when they start to shy away from D&D, it gets weird in a bad way. Back to From Beyond. The gore effects are incredible. The carnage that's left after Bubba's flesh is munched off his bones by a swarm of, I don't knows, from another reality looks fantastic. Pretorius's transformations include a lot of gore and body horror that's unsettling and had me gawking at the spectacle as the shifting was too much for my puny human brain to comprehend. Oh yeah, resonator-influenced Crawford also sucks out some people's eyeballs. That goober. I feel like it goes without saying that I recommend checking out From Beyond if I somehow haven't convinced you that it's 
worth your time. The movie doesn't only include amazing practical effects, it also includes leather mommy Barbara Crampton. Number 4, Castle Freak, 1995, directed by Stuart Gordon. John, his wife Susan, and their daughter Rebecca arrive at a castle that John inherited. John had a drinking problem that led to him crashing his car. His son died in the crash and Rebecca was blinded. Susan hasn't been able to forgive him. John brings home a prostitute who is killed by a feral man that's been imprisoned in the castle. The feral man also kills the housekeeper. To save his family, John tackles the feral man off a roof, which ends up killing them both. John's drunk driving and the feral man are the killers. Castle Freak stars Jeffrey Combs as John and Barbara Crampton as Susan. Wait a minute. This is the third Stuart Gordon movie I've seen that includes Combs and Crampton. Why is that? Gordon had a background in theater and liked having a company of actors. Combs and Crampton give much better performances in Castle Freak. You know who else gives a solid performance? Jonathan Fuller. Who was he? Giorgio. Who's that? Feral Man, duh. Yeah, Feral Man was this kid named Giorgio. John's duchess relative who left the castle to him imprisoned the poor kid and told everyone he was dead just to get back at her husband for leaving her. I don't understand how imprisoning and torturing an innocent child sticks it to your ex-husband. There's a story about a woman named Medea, no, not Tyler Perry's Medea, the Greek mythology Medea, who killed the kids she had with her ex-husband to get back at him which makes way more sense as a form of revenge than if she had imprisoned and tortured them instead. She loved the kids, but hated the dude more. You ever hated someone's guts so much that you murdered children you had with them? I've never felt that kind of rage, except maybe when dealing with the printer. So yeah, in Castle Freak, Giorgio's whole being locked in the dungeon by his mom thing doesn't make a lot of sense. Feral Giorgio actually tries to be kind of normal in the beginning, but the torture and isolation resulted in him being far too gone to assimilate into society. First thing he kills is a pet warning cat. He eats it and you see the corpse. It's not that disturbing for a pet death. At the time of the cat snack, I wasn't going to put Giorgio on the killer list since he eats the cat for survival. Kitty wanders into Gio's cell. Gio must munch for sustenance. It wasn't until Gio ate the prostitute to death that he was put on the killer list. Now, him eating the prostitute, unlike the cat, is disturbing. He bites off chunks of boob. And let's just say the first cat isn't the only pussy he eats. Yeesh. Fat yeesh. Luckily, I only had a good view of the breast destruction. Jeez, I'm considering myself lucky for only having to see that. Yeesh. It's disturbing and the effects work is solid. Trend alert. The feral Geo destroys his thumb to escape shackles, much like the detective in Phenomena. Castle Freak's effects work and acting are strong, but the scoring and sound design are soap opera level bad. The score tries to ruin the atmosphere whenever possible. It's your generic early 90s horror score. It's hard to explain exactly, but there's this particular type of score from that era. I hate it. 90s bad horror score is the worst. 
Stock sounds were used almost every two seconds, which made it really hard for me to be engrossed by Castle Freak. The production company for the movie was Full Moon Features. As soon as I saw that, I thought the entire movie would be abysmal. They do the Puppet Master movies, which I completely bailed on after watching the first. I remember liking Prehysteria, the movie about tiny dinosaurs when I was a kid, but I'm sure that doesn't hold up. I've kind of been rambling and jumping all over the place. I like the design of Feral Geo. For some reason, he has no ding-dong. I guess the Duchess is to blame for that. The lack of dong isn't the reason I like the design. For most of the movie, he runs around partially covered with a sheet. Feral Geo looks almost exactly like an orc from Lord of the Rings. I love the orc design. The makeup effects for him were very well done. Jonathan Fuller's animalistic acting is also fantastic. I'm surprised Feral Geo isn't more of an iconic horror figure. Castle Freak is a solid horror movie. The score and sound design try their damnedest to ruin it, but Castle Freak is still worth a watch. Number 5, The Dentist, 1996, directed by Brian Usna. Dr. Finestone loses his grip on reality after seeing his wife cheating with the pool guy. Finestone kills the pool guy, goes to work, kills more people, and is eventually taken in by the police. Dr. Finestone is the killer. I believe I saw a tweet where Jay Bauman recommended The Dentist. I trust his opinions, so here we are. The Dentist stars Corbin Burnson as Dr. Finestone. Burnson is incredible in this role. His presence single-handedly makes the movie worth checking out. He's intense and perfect as the dentist who's descending into madness. So Finestone's whole reason for jumping into the deep end of murder is his wife's infidelity. It's all her fault, you might be thinking. Thing is, the dentist makes it clear that Finestone is a terrible jerk of a husband before the pool man affair comes to light. The pool man, Matt, reminded me of the Law & Order SVU guy's role in Wet Hot American Summer. I had to look up his name, Christopher Maloney. Finestone hates anything filthy. Poolman is trying to fix a sludge problem. Poolman is covered in sludge. When Finestone's wife becomes intimate with Poolman, sludge is present. Gross. Cheating is disgusting enough. You don't need to pair it with sludge. Maybe the sludge during the banging was only part of Finestone's imagination. Sludge is a fun word that I don't get to use often. Sludge. The dentist actually made me anxious. I am assuming my anxiety stemmed from all the mouth horror and the possibility of someone that should be trusted inflicting it on me without my knowledge while I'm huffing on laughing gas. An evil dentist could inflict some real damage on an unsuspecting patient. Multiple amazing practical mouths are destroyed in the movie. Well, one big mouth with different sets of teeth to be exact, one set of teeth for when Finestone shanks a young boy in the gums, and at least one more for a woman whose molar is obliterated. I want to say the molar being ground into with the dentist version of a demo drill was the most yeesh-inducing thing for me. Just thinking about it skeeves me out. I never realized how horrifying tooth destruction is to me. I'm not afraid of going to the dentist at all. I don't mind having my teeth scraped. I went to a dentist once who pointed out the smallest imperfections in my teeth that weren't affecting my health at all and said he could 
fixed stuff for big bucks. I hated that guy. Clean my teeth and make sure they're healthy. I don't want to hear your garbage sales pitch while you're in my mouth. Phrasing? The dentist included some interesting shot decisions. One shot was framed in a way where you could see Finestone's hand gesturing at his wife as they talked. I like that a lot. Pet warning. Finestone shoots and kills a dog. It's not that upsetting. He has to kill the dog since it attacks him while he's snooping on Pool Man. The dog only attacks Finestone after the dingus accidentally kicks open a backyard gate. A lot of the movie is spent watching Finestone trying to keep it together and work through appointments as he's slipping further and further from reality. One patient is named Sarah. She's there to get her braces off. I didn't think Finestone was an orthodontist, but whatever. Anyway, Sarah is this innocent kid, giddy about no longer being a brace face. She's even going to have a straight teeth coming out party. She ends up having her appointment pushed back a day due to all the insanity. She comes back day two of Bonkers Finestone, and I thought to myself, if this poor innocent kid that just wants her braces off is murdered by Finestone, I'm gonna be mad. I'll turn off this movie. Luckily for her and myself, Finestone removes her braces and she escapes before he's able to add her to his body count. Most slashers make you dislike the victims before they are dispatched. Do I think movies in which you actually feel for the characters and want them to survive pack more of a punch? I do. It's definitely rare for me to care about a character in a slasher though. Maybe I felt for Sarah because I too had braces and only wanted them removed. I already mentioned the leads acting. Everyone else is decent. Mark Ruffalo, Mr. Incredible Hulk himself, shows up in this. His character is unimportant, but hey, the ruster. Ken Forey is also in The Dentist. He's not bad, but I did have issues with his police officer character messing with and even tasting evidence. Protocols, dude. Earl Bowen played an IRS douche. I recognized his face. Turns out he's done a ton of voice acting for video games and cartoons. He was Ganesha in Bloody Roar, Primal Fury. I wonder if that game holds up in the least. I have specific memories of playing it with one of my friends in middle school. Speaking of bloody, Finestone slashes Poolman with a knife multiple times. Each slash is accompanied by amazing practical blood sprays. I've never seen such a well done knife slash kill. Kudos. An amazing performance from Burnson and practical mouth destruction make The Dentist a high anxiety horror movie that I definitely recommend. Turns out there's a sequel that was also directed by Yuzna. I might check that out in the next episode. Number 6, Dagon, 2001, directed by Stuart Gordon. Paul and his girlfriend Barbara are on their friends Howard and Vicky's boat near Spain. A crazy storm picks up, causing the boat to crash into rocks, leaving Vicky's leg stuck. Paul and Barbara take a lifeboat to shore to get help. Paul goes back to the boat with the rescue team and sees that Howard and Vicky are gone. Barbara is kidnapped by the locals. Paul makes it back to shore and is pursued by the locals. He finds Howard's skin. A man named Ezekiel tells Paul the town worships Dagon, an underwater old one. Paul finds himself in a mansion and meets Ushia, who he's seen in dreams. She has tentacles for legs. 
Eventually, Paul is captured and ends up in a cage with Barbara, Ezekiel, and Vicky. After an escape attempt, Vicky kills herself. Ezekiel is skinned alive. Paul kills some locals and makes it to a ritual where Barbara is given to Dagon. He saves Barbara for a second, but after she refuses rescue, Dagon kills her. Paul learns that Ushia is his sister. He tries to kill himself by self-immolation, but Ushia tackles him into the water, showing Paul that he has gills. They then swim towards Dagon's lair as Paul smiles. Dagon and the cult that follows the old one are the killers. Dagon, more like Dagon Watery Island with, uh, you know, I don't know, fish people, man. I somehow forgot to mention that Vicky and Barbara were forcibly impregnated by Dagon, which is why Vicky kills herself and Barbara refuses to be saved. Yeah, none of the rape is shown, which is nice. Dagon is an interesting movie. It's so close to being amazing. The premise is solid. Unfortunate souls end up having to fight against a fish cult. That's neat. The effects work is great overall. Sure, there is some spotty CGI used for parts of the boat crash and the ending sequence with Dagon, but for the most part, stellar practical effects are used. Lots of special effects makeup transform the locals into weird mer people. Bulging eyes, gills, webbed hands. Some of the tentacles here and there don't fully sell, but I appreciated the fact that they were practical. I also like that Ushia had tentacles for a lower half instead of your typical aesthetically pleasing mermaid tail. Weird way to say that, I know. In the very beginning of Dagon, Paul dreams of Ushia, and she has your typical little mermaid bottom half in the dream. Her actually having ugly ass tentacle legs is fantastic. The entire town looks incredible. Everything is water damaged, moldy, and dank. It's constantly raining. What's keeping this above ground underwater city filled with Old One Worshippers movie from being truly great? The choice for the lead is strange. Ezra Godden played Paul. Who? Exactly. His only big starring role was in Dagon. He's not the worst actor ever, he just feels out of place. Everyone else fits in this spooky, wet world. I think Godin would be more at home in a Broken Lizard production. He brings way too much camp to Dagon. I love camp, but the vibe of Dagon isn't campy. Well, the scene where Paul bludgeons the crap out of a fish man with a Nokia is pretty campy. That's the only camp in the movie that isn't brought on solely by Godin's performance. I wouldn't say Vicky committing seppuku or Ezekiel having his head skinned is campy. I'd say it's horrifying. For some reason, the fish peeps peel the flesh off their victims and wear the skin suits during rituals. I mean, even old one worshipping cults need traditions. I wonder if a new member asked about the skin wearing and an older member just told them they've been doing it for so long that no one even remembers why they do it. The skin suits that are more like skin ponchos look disturbing and great. Skin ponchos. That's a great band name. The sound design in Dagon is weak. Weak sound design has been a staple of the Gordon movies I've seen. Tons of stock sounds in Dagon. I couldn't make out what Ezekiel and Ushia's octopus dad were saying at times. I probably should have put on subtitles. I hope Octo Dad didn't say anything important. A flashback accompanied what Ezekiel was saying, so I could at least see what he was probably talking about. 
I'll end on a good note. There are some amazing costumes that the cult leaders wear. Ushia and the leader in the flashback both have dope gold getups. Big kudos to the costume and production design. Dagon is a trip. It's a movie that is so close to transcending to greatness. Even though it's not perfect, I recommend checking it out. That Stuart Gordon dude was pretty awesome. Oh, I almost forgot to mention, the actor who played Ushia has my favorite name of all time. Her name is Macarena Gomez. That has to be the most baller name I've ever heard. Number 7, The Outsider, 2020, developed by Richard Price. Jason Bateman. Does anyone like this guy outside of Arrested Development? That's what I asked myself before watching The Outsider, where he actually does a great job as Terry, a goober who gets framed for child murder. Spoilers? Yeah, sure. Abandon all hope of not being spoiled. ye who continue listening here. Jumping into it, Terry doesn't live long. Since Terry is framed for ripping up a kid to death, the kid's brother pop-pops Terry as he's walking to trial. The brother then takes a bullet himself and dies. Lots of depressing stuff happens early on in The Outsider. You know what else happens early on? Lots of creepy stuff. The shapeshifter who eats a youngster and frames Terry will be referred to as The Outsider. Um, Audi for short. Audi is hella creepy early on in the show. You catch glimpses of him and can only partially see his jacked up face since it's obscured by a hoodie. Wait a minute. Legitimately creepy monster faced hoodie wear? That seems familiar. They Come Knocking is a Hulark movie that also included similar hoodlums. I don't think those goofsters could shapeshift though. Wait, actually, now that I think about it, I think they could. Didn't one turn into a dude's wife or something? Maybe those hooded monsters were the same species as Audi. In the first few episodes of The Outsider, it seems like Audi can materialize wherever it wants. It appears to Terry's daughter multiple times and messes with her. Maybe Audi is only able to show up in people's dreams, but Audi did leave Goop behind for people to see when they were definitely awake. After watching the entire show, I'm still unsure of all of Audi's abilities. Here's what I do know. Audi can gradually transform into someone after scratching them. Audi knows everything the scratch person knows. Audi is able to create familiars somehow. The familiars can't kill themselves until they can. The whole familiar thing seemed really unnecessary and wasn't introduced until about halfway through the season. I wish that aspect was left out completely. One last thing that I know Audi has is the ability to rip up stuff real good. It tears into its meals. It must have more strength than your average human. How is Audi taken out? It's shot and then its face is smashed with a rock. Maybe Audi isn't even dead after that though. Another thing I didn't like in the show was the eccentric character which just happens to come across a bunch of ridiculous information about what Audi could possibly be. None of what she finds out feels like she figured it out organically. She ends up being exposition the character. Towards the end, I realized that the outsider is basically just it again. A shape-shifting creature eats kids until a group of adults go underground together and defeat it. There were some really odd music choices throughout the show that completely took me out of the moment. Jason Bateman does direct some episodes early on, which I found the best of the bunch. 
There is some fantastic framing where the camera is static, pointed slightly off from what normally would be emphasized. I found that eerie and superb. I've realized that almost all horror shows have lackluster or even bad endings. The only show I can think of where the ending was okay was the first season of American Horror Story, and that ending was kinda whack too. Marianne's ending is blah. Haunting of Hill Houses is complete garbage, unless your head canon is that the family is stuck in the red door room. The Outsider's ending is one of the most anticlimactic things of all time. There's a shootout at the end that was really dumb. It reminded me of the silly shootout in Doctor Sleep. Do I recommend The Outsider? Not really. I had to push myself to finish it. I'd say watch up until it's confirmed that Terry is dead, then just tell yourself out he got away. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer 68, Nakey Death, Slashy Chimps, and Gory Gordon. Thanks for listening. If you dug it, leave a rating on iTunes. Thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast on their website. Puka 2 will be first up on the next episode. I technically rolled a short film that I was supposed to watch this episode. I thought it was a feature. It's called Effing Bunnies. I'll cover it for Topic 7 next time. Until then, if your dentist is running behind and seems completely unhinged, maybe reschedule your appointment.